Good morning. There was no choice in the 1950s for young men in Australia about whether they were going to sign up for the Army, the Navy or the Air Force just for their national service. Not longer than that. I was talking to a man in his 70s called Terry and he was reminiscing about when he was 18 and he had to join up and he chose the Army. And he was telling me all about this time. Three months, he said, full-time. And then after that, there were two years that were part-time. And he told me that they were being trained to act without question. They were not paid to think, but to act. And he was telling me some of the things that they would do. And sometimes they would just march for an hour for no apparent reason to him. Uh, but they would do this. And he, he was telling me about one time when they went to this field and they had to set this marquee up in the corner of the field. So they did it. And then they went the next day and they had to take the marquee down and put it up in another corner of the field. And the next day they went and they had to take the marquee down and put it up in another corner of the field. On the fifth day, they finally put the marquee back up where they'd first put it. Theirs was not to ask why. It would be a really important lesson to learn. I do get that. If you're going to be part of the army, that is part of the discipline and training and would be really important. But these young men had no choice about whether they signed up. So I asked him, I said, did many of them rebel or many of them moan about being forced to do this? And he did say no, not very many. There were pretty strict punishments for any that did. These young men did things because they were told so. It did make me think, as Nandi was saying, about my children and wouldn't it be lovely if they did things because they were told so. I have to say I'm not as good as Nandi and I do find myself saying sometimes, I am your mother and you will do it because I say so. Dreadful, isn't it? I get so over explaining things sometimes. I also though, remember doing my own fair share of moaning as a child. That's not fair. Why do we have to have that rule? It's not fair. Sometimes we just don't like being told what to do. We often blame the younger generation, the youth for this as well. Maybe some of these complaints um, sound familiar to you. Maybe you've said some of these th things against young people. Youth today love luxury. They have bad manners contempt for authority, no respect for older people, and talk nonsense when they should work. Young people do not stand up any longer when adults enter a room. They contradict their parents, talk too much in company, gobble their food, lay their legs on the table, and tyrannize their elders. This quote is actually credited to Socrates, who lived about 400 years <clears throat> before Jesus a long time ago. It's actually, I was reading, not his quote, but it is a compilation of ancient criticisms against the youth. And you can find down through the ages criticism of criticism against young people. I'm not sure they would have found some in the 1970s, though, when my generation were young. <laughs> but down through the ages, people have stood up against being told, because I told you so. And I think there are varying degrees as well of standing up, depending on our age, depending on life's experience that we've had, depending on our character too. I imagine if you've had 
a difficult childhood, if you've been dominated um, as a child, I imagine that you could grow up to be somebody who is against authority and stands against it. But you could grow up to be somebody who just does exactly what they're told for fear of punishment. I think some of us are people who just want a peaceful life, whereas some of us like to stand up and fight. Some of us are people who know it all, and others of us realize that we know very little indeed. So where's the balance? There are times when we just need to do what we're told, and there are times when it is right and good to question instructions. So how do we do this? How do we live life well? How do we take ownership of our life? And how does our character and our age and our experience and how we respond to instruction impact relationship with God? It may be for some of us that we steer clear of relationship with God because we don't want demands placed upon us. We want to run our lives our own way, even if... Perhaps we quite like the sound of this Jesus chap. We actually still want to live our lives the way we want to. I do believe, though, that we need to be people who live life wholeheartedly, taking ownership of how we live and taking ownership of how we relate to other people, that our actions need to come from our hearts and need to come from love. Because we know that over time, bad attitudes, resentment, actually destroy us and damage us and impact those around us too. And when today I talk about hearts, I'm not talking about that slushy thing that's all passion and no reason, which can lead us into trouble if we follow it. I'm talking about the hearts that are the very core of us where our life beat comes from, where we hold the things that are most dear to us. If we choose to take ownership and be wholehearted in our jobs, in our studies, in our friendships, in our times of rest, in our relationships, then I believe that we will live life well. A friend of mine has just started a new job not very long ago. And every time we catch up, she is so enthusiastic about her job. She loves it. And I think she's probably very competent at what she does. But she is wholehearted at it too. If they give her a task, she takes ownership of it and she goes for it. And she loves it and they love her. It was actually just a maternity cover, a a two-day-a-week maternity cover. But within a couple of months, they've offered her ongoing position full-time. They've taken her on. Now, I think we can sit there and go, yeah, but she's new at it. She hasn't been tarnished by life in it. She's fresh at it. But actually, if we think about it, isn't that how we'd like to still be approaching our work? In our relationships, maybe one springs to mind that we did take ownership of at the beginning and we were wholehearted in our relationship at the beginning. It brought us great joy. But maybe we found that over time that joy has dwindled a bit. Maybe our hearts aren't so wholly committed as they were. Maybe no longer we take ownership of our feelings, ownership of our actions, ownership of our words. I think if we find ourselves in places 
where bad attitudes are creeping in when we're no longer taking ownership, that we need to do some reassessing of that. We need to say, how can I write this? How can I stir my heart into action again? And it might be in some situations we actually need to make some external changes. Maybe the job isn't the one for us. Maybe there are unhealthy relationships that we do need to move away from. But I think in the majority of situations, it's internal changes that will need to be made. But these are often not easy. And it may be that we need to go and see somebody and seek help from somebody else to do these things. I truly believe that the very best way to live life is to live wholeheartedly. And the best way to do this is to have a heart transplant. Our old hearts, created by God, sustained by his breath, can breathe out and reflect his goodness. But our old hearts can get tired and weary and hardened too. We need a heart that is alive, loving, responsive. God spoke a long time ago and he told his people, there is a heart that you can have transplanted into you. A heart that is soft and tender and good and that one day this heart will become available to you. And through Jesus, this heart is available for us now. This is what the Bible says that this heart is like. Thanks. It says, And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. The dance between God's Holy Spirit within us and our spirits inside of us keeps our hearts soft and tender and responsive as God's Holy Spirit comes and entwines with our spirits and abides within us that is how we can live wholeheartedly but sometimes this chap comes onto the scene and his name is Will he looks like a licorice all sorts or something but his name is Will for us this morning and sometimes our wills can be pretty stubborn and hard-hearted and they don't always like our soft responsive hearts sometimes they try and shove the stones back into them sometimes they remind us of bad experiences so that our hearts can become hardened again sometimes they just ridicule our soft hearts within us But Will does have a lovely smile, doesn't he? And wills aren't all bad. And when our will actually comes alongside of our heart and works together with it, we can be incredibly powerful. When Jesus was being a carpenter at his home in Nazareth, before he'd started his ministry there, God called John the Baptist And John the Baptist had to go and prepare people for when Jesus came. And so he went down to the Jordan River and he would speak to people. And he 
wasn't always very gentle in his words as he spoke to people, but he told them they needed to turn from their selfish ways and they needed to turn back to God. This is one thing he said to them, thanks. He said, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. It was clear whether it was in subtle ways or pretty blatant ways, that they weren't actually living wholeheartedly. It was clear in their actions that they weren't living wholeheartedly. So they said to John, well, what should we do? What should we do? And this is what John replied. He said, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry that they needed to be listening to their hearts. Their wills may well have been saying to them, you don't need to give a shirt away. You need to keep hold of your two shirts. You might need them. But they needed to listen to their hearts because what a blessing they would be to others when hearts and wills stood together. He went on, even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? And he replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do? Asked some soldiers. John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. We may have expected him to say, actually stop being a tax collector. Actually stop being a soldier, but he doesn't. What he's most concerned about is their hearts and how they do it. And that their hearts are ruling the way that they do these things. And then we see again and again and again when Jesus went about amongst the people working amongst them. We see them seeking him out, whether they'd been healed by him, whether they'd been loved by him, whether they'd just heard about him. They seek him out and they come to him and they say, tell us how to live. Tell us what it is we need to do. And Jesus sums up all of his teaching in two commands. And they are both about loving, as most of us know. They are both about loving. We need to love God and we need to love other people. And what is this love to be like? It is not to be half-hearted love. It is to be whole-hearted love. Whether we are under somebody's authority or whether we have authority over other people in the things that we do, we are to love. If we're in a classroom situation and maybe on the odd occasion we find that students around us aren't respecting the teacher, they're not being particularly kind to them and maybe we hear our will whispering to us, oh that would be a funny thing to say, do that. Well you don't need to respect them, this one doesn't deserve it particularly but we need our hearts to step in. We need to be wholehearted and take ownership that we're students and that we need to respect the authority there before us. Maybe we're in workplaces and we have uh, people that we're in authority over. And maybe there's a couple of them that just try our patience and that over time our will has worn down and hardened our heart and we have a bad attitude towards them. Maybe we need to say to God, God, I need your spirit to come and soften my heart so that I can love this person despite what they do, that I can love them wholeheartedly. We may still need to speak to them, to discipline them, but we need to be loving them while we're doing that. In our families, maybe the meal has been finished or the dishwasher has finished or the bin is full. 
Maybe our will whispers in our ears. I did it last time. It's not my turn this time. I didn't put the last piece of rubbish in the bin. Why should I have to take it out? And yet we need to let our hearts take ownership of the fact that we are part of the family and be wholeheartedly part of that family and maybe we need to just get up and we need to just take that bin out. That it's to do with loving wherever we are. Loving, loving. But for us to be able to have these new whole hearts, it isn't just about loving other people, although that is so crucial. It's about loving God too. Followers of Jesus believe that God has the ultimate authority. These are some words that are used um, to describe what God is like. He is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. He is good. He is faithful. He is loving. He is kind. He is just. He is truth. He is light. He is majestic. He is pure. He is radiant. He is firm. He is strong. He is mighty. He is vast. He is great. And the list could fill that page. And it may be that we think, well, we need to shrink in fear from him. And there is something right about that. We do need to be humble before him. But he longs for us to love him and know him and be loved by him. And so he makes himself approachable for us. I believe the more we approach him, the more we know him, the more we love him, the more we allow him to love us, the better we live our lives, the more our wills move in line with his ways and his will for us. I think it is the process of loving God that actually keeps our hearts tender and that they again can bring our wills into agreement. I think every morning we need to wake up and say, God, please fill me with your Holy Spirit that I can keep my heart tender and responsive. And then maybe at the end of the day when we lie in bed or we're brushing our teeth or we're doing part of that routine, we just need to say to God, God, can you just bring to my mind the time that I've been wholehearted and see what comes to mind? And then maybe, God, can you bring to my mind the time that maybe I haven't been wholehearted that I need to say sorry for and that I need to be aware of as I move into tomorrow? As we follow God and his ways, submitting to him by loving him, he will enable us to live and to love wholeheartedly. Over the rest of this month, as we consider, because I told you so, we're going to be looking at our responsibilities and we're going to be looking at our actions. But before we get there, can I encourage us over this next week or two just to be thinking through the day, Am I living wholeheartedly? Am I loving wholeheartedly? Am I in this relationship wholeheartedly? Am I in my family wholeheartedly? Am I resting wholeheartedly? Am I loving God wholeheartedly? Am I doing the things in my life wholeheartedly? The bands are going to come and play in a moment. And as they play their song, can I ask you to consider, do I need a heart transplant? Do I want a heart that is soft and tender? 
And if that is you, maybe talk to somebody that you know here. You're welcome to come and talk to me. And we can approach God and we can talk to him about that too. But maybe you're sitting here and you know that you had a heart transplant quite a long time ago or a little while ago. But that you actually your new heart is looking rather like your old heart. That it's got a little bit stony and it's got a little bit hardened over time. Well then let's be people who ask God's Holy Spirit to come and dance with our spirit as we listen to the music to entwine with it and abide with us, that our hearts can be softened and made tender again, that we can go from this place wholehearted for God and wholehearted in our love towards other people. Let us commit to be people who live wholeheartedly. As Chad was saying,